listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Pet Peeves is brought to you by Petco.com. Petco is a leading specialty retailer of premium pet food supplies and services, offering more than 10,000 high-quality pet-related products. Enter the code PEEVES10, P-E-E-V-E-S, the number 10, and get 10% off any order. No minimum at Petco.com. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander's up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Welcome to Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Why let sleeping dogs lie when you can take the bull by the horns and let the fur fly? So get your claws out and get ready to rattle some cages on Pet Peeves with your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Showjob. Hey there, and welcome to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Amy Shajai. Now, I've interviewed quite a few dog experts in these shows, and their training techniques vary. Today, we're discussing shock collars. Now, that brings me to my rant of the week. If you put three dog trainers in a room, you'll get twice that number of opinions on what constitutes good training and the proper tools. Today's kinder, gentler style of using cookie power and clickers rubs some trainers the wrong way. They consider it lax or ineffective. But punishment-based training of some of the high-profile celebrity trainers is labeled unscientific and ineffective by others. So who's right? Now, I interviewed an ATF canine handler whose tactical dog had been trained using positive techniques, but then they ultimately resorted to an e-stem collar to counter the animal's dog-on-dog aggression. Frankly, the thought of shocking my dog, Magic, for any reason, makes my blood run cold. But what really makes me growl is the fact that you can get shock training kits over the internet or at your local pet product store with do-it-yourself instructions for boundary training, bark quelling, and other nuisance-stopping techniques. Push a button, you train your dog. And in today's world where our pets are considered part of the family and referred to as fur kids, this begs the question, what next? East stem collars to potty train the toddlers? Well, today's guest has something to say about the subject. Now, I understand that Stephanie Smith, Ph.D., has actually been pooped on by a rattlesnake, so don't mess with her. Come, sit, stay. And we'll be right back with Stephanie Suzanne Smith, a canine expert, dog writer, and longtime pointer rescuer, after these messages. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Hey, boy, how you doing? What am I doing? I'm creating your own life book. It's a website that's just for you. Remember that picture I took of you pulling off Lisa's bathing suit? (laughs) Yeah, I know, me too. I'm putting that awesome picture on your Lifebook page. We'll see what comments we get. And that great video we took of you standing on the table with your head inside the turkey? That's definitely going on there. (coughs) No, it's easy. It only took me two minutes to set up your page. I chose a great theme, and I can connect with millions of other pet parents. I can also create a memorial Lifebook. (coughs) No, not for Grandma. 
but we can make one for Fluffy, remember her? And we can even put links to our favorite pet charity. And friends can make donations. People can create their own life book for their pets by going to PetLifeRadio.LivingYearsPets.com or they can sign up on the Pet Life Radio homepage. <coughs> Where's Lisa? She's outside by the pool. Hey, come back here! <coughs> create your own life book for your pet. PetLifeRadio.LivingYearsPets.com Hi, this is Marcy Davis and my service dog, Whistle. And we're your hosts of Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Working Like Dogs is the show where you can learn everything you ever wanted to know about working animals or working dogs. Whether you're a member of a working dog team or you've just seen a working dog or animal out at the mall or the grocery store and you're curious about how these amazing animals work with their human partners, then Working Like Dogs is the show for you. Join us for the inside scoop at Working Like Dogs on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. Welcome back to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. And please help me welcome Stephanie Smith, a professional writer, master gardener, and a dog expert. Thanks for coming, Stephanie. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me, Amy. Um, I'm looking forward to the discussion. Well, what I like to start out with is uh, just give listeners a little bit of background about yourself. First off, what dogs do you have? What do you share your life with? Well, right now, I have an Australian cattle dog that wandered up about, oh, four or five years ago, and I was going to keep her until I found a good home, and I am petting her right now, so <laughs> I, I did, and I have a um, standard poodle whose name is Amber, who is about 10 years old and um, is my hearing and mobility assistance dog. And sort of runs the household. Uh, I have in the past had a variety of pointers and um, mixed breeds, but I've always had a poodle since I was about four. I've had one. Okay. Well, I I have to ask you. When I read this on your website, just I've just got to ask you to start out with what in the world possessed you to be near enough a rattler to get pooped on? Well. When I was in Austin, go, uh, working in Austin, I had gotten involved in hunting tests and field trials for English pointers. The, the breed name is Pointer, but a lot of people call them English pointers. And I belonged to some clubs that put on those hunt tests and field trials. But a lot of that was done in, around the San Antonio area. The problem there is that there are a lot of rattlesnakes there. And dogs get bitten and they die because you're out in the field and you may be miles from your truck and then you're miles from the veterinarian and by the time you get there it's too late. So they use a technique that is a very strong aversive training that involves an e-stem collar and uh, two rattlesnakes. That leads right into the discussion then what is an e-stem collar and what does it do? An e-stem collar is a collar that has basically 
uh, two contact points, which are like uh, the rivets that are on your jeans. And you put it around the dog's neck, and you have a controller. And when you hit the controller, it transmits electricity through those two contact points and shocks the dog. And you can set it from very low where it is just barely noticeable to basically nuking the dog. And um, they're a harsh training method. And I have to say right up front that I only believe in using shock collars, which is another name for e-stem collars, for aversive training when the consequences of the dog doing something will be fatal or severe injury. So in the case of training the dog to leave a snake alone, for instance, would be an appropriate use of this? In my opinion, yes, because if they get bitten, they have a very high likelihood of dying. So can it be used humanely? Well, it's one of those things. It's kind of like chemotherapy. It saves the dog's life, but it's pretty rough on them, and it's very hard to do for me as a person who loves dogs. It was really hard to um, be involved in something that deliberately caused them pain, but I have also been at field trials and hunt tests and watched a dog that had undergone this training avoid a rattlesnake and not get killed. Okay, so there's a, it's, this is a very difficult thing, I think, ethically and uh, just for, for anybody who ever loves a dog, even if you're not necessarily into the clicker training, the cookie power and all of that. I don't think there's anyone who loves a dog out there that wants to see him hurt. But this is one of those issues that you have to really weigh the dangers. Now, Stephanie, you said that this is difficult training to do. Who should be doing this training? Is this something that, you know, somebody, you know, I live in North Texas. I don't think there's rattlers around, but there are other kinds of poisonous snakes. As a pet owner, should a pet owner be doing this, or is this something for the experts? An e-stem collar should only be used by a very experienced trainer who has, has been taught how to use it by someone else who really knows what they're doing. Pet people don't have any business owning an e-stem collar. You can destroy a dog with an e-stem collar faster than you can with any other apparatus or treatment. So what do you mean by destroy a dog? I'll give you an example of a mistake that I made that I still regret. I had a, a little miniature poodle, and in the car, she would just kind of whine, this low-level whine. Now, when you're driving around for three or four hours, this low-level whine gets really annoying, and I couldn't get her to stop. Someone loaned me one of those bark collars, and it was a trainer. It was an obedience uh, trainer, not terribly. I wouldn't consider her an ex- expert, but she was giving classes and teaching people, and I put it on my dog, and she about had a nervous breakdown because she didn't realize that she was making noise. It was like someone who unconsciously hums. Oh. And she couldn't figure out why she was hurting, what was going on. And it took me weeks to restore her confidence and calm her down. So that was just with one experience and that happened. That was with one experience of about 10 minutes and I took it off. So how is it properly done? You said you witnessed the uh, snake proofing 
training. How is it done? Well, you take two rattlesnakes and you very carefully defang them and milk their venom. And rattlesnakes are like um, sharks. They have rows of fangs. And within 24 hours, a new fang comes in. So the snake actually survives this process. I've witnessed it do so. But you defang them, and that's where I got pooped on. You use a snake pole, you pick the snake up, and you put the loop around its neck. And there's a guy holding that snake with uh, the loop on its neck firmly. And I was at the tail end holding the tail so it wouldn't whip around and hit the person who was pulling the fangs, which was the trainer. And she is very nonchalant about this. Um, she'd done it for years by that point. Used a pair of pliers, pulled the fangs, milked the venom out of the venom glands, washed the animal's mouth out with betadine, and then um, we were good to go. When she pulled the fang, the snake pooped, and I kind of got covered in it. But <laughs> The first snake, you tape their tail so it doesn't make noise because most dogs will, in, will instinctively stop at the noise, and you want them to get a good sniff of it. The handler, um, there's two handlers, actually. There's a, a person on a, about a 10-foot rope with the dog's collar on the end of the rope, and that person brings the dog up to the rattlesnake. The dog sniffs the rattlesnake, and if the timing is just right, the snake will strike at the dog, and the field trainer hits that button, on, and it's on its highest setting, and usually it flips the dog. The dog screams and flips, and that's very, very hard to watch. On the other hand, like I said, it usually saves the dog's life if it encounters a snake. So is this done just one time, or if the dog offers to go sniff the snake again, is, is it a re repeated? It is repeated until the dog will avoid the snake, will not make eye contact, will not go over near it. Then it's taken to the snake that the tail rattles, and it's approached from upwind where it can't smell the snake, but it can hear it. Most of the dogs at that point, they see the snake, and they try to run. They don't want to get anywhere near it. So that it, But if they get near it, they get shocked. Then the owner, who has been kept out of sight, comes and takes one end of the rope, and the dog is held on the other side of the snake and is taught that when the owner calls, they go around the snake and come to the owner. That's done so that the dog doesn't panic and run away from the owner when it smells a snake. It comes to the owner. The owner is kept out of sight because most humans instinctively fear snakes, and that would transmit to the dog, and it would avoid the snake without understanding why. Well, I would think also you don't want the dog to associate this bad experience with the owner. Right. That's the other reason. These are people the dog doesn't know, so it's not going to imprint this pain on its owner. It imprints it on the snake and these strangers. Okay, now when I, when I interviewed the ATF professionals, the canine handlers, I asked them about 
tune-ups if they had to constantly retrain or make sure that because these dogs are they don't potentially they don't find a bomb every day they don't go bite a bad guy every day and they said yes it was an ongoing process so with the snake aversive training do the dogs have to go back for tune-ups or does one time do it well they recommend that they come back a year later and have just a refresher most of the time, I could tell immediately which dogs this was a refresher for and which dogs this was a new experience because the dogs it was a refresher for didn't want anything to do with the snake. Occasionally, they would try to sniff, but pretty much they, they knew where they were and they didn't want to do that. There are trainers that do it that go ahead and bring them back every year, um, sort of like a yearly vaccine. Okay, well, I wanted to ask you also, I know that you have a PhD in clinical psychology, and there is this whole thing about people today wanting, you know, it's instant meals, it's instant gratification, it's push-button training. Is Could you address that? What's the appeal of having this shock collar that suddenly your dog is well-behaved, and what's the human element there? Why do we need something that's so much easy for us? Well, I think that humans are wired for survival, and part of survival is doing things in the most efficient way possible, and efficient has become synonymous with easy, and it's not necessarily so. When you go out and you get a shot collar, and you're going to train your dog not to bark or to stay within boundaries or to heal because sometimes they use it as negative reinforcement for, for uh, obedience. You have to understand that there are costs to fast and easy. And some of those costs mean you destroy your relationship with your dog. Many of these trainers that are training hunting dogs, they don't expect to have a good relationship with the dog. They have a certain amount of time to train this dog to do whatever they're supposed to do. And then they turn it over to the owner, who usually doesn't use a shot collar, who is using the commands but without the negative, the, the pain associated. And so the dog has a bond with the owner. The other thing is that a lot of these dogs are seen as tools. They aren't seen as pets. They're kept in kennels, they're brought out to hunt, and then they're put up. So the owner doesn't really have that much of a relationship with them to lose. I got very frustrated when I did pointer rescue because a lot of the field people, and not all of them, I'm not painting a broad brush, but there was a significant minority that viewed this dog as just another tool, like a hammer or a screwdriver. And when it didn't perform properly, you discarded it. And um, I would get four dogs that, you know, I got a 12-year-old dog some jerk took to the shelter because she couldn't hunt anymore, and he wanted us to find her a good home. Well, that leads right into our next topic, and we're going to continue our conversation with Stephanie Smith about pointer rescue after these messages from our sponsors. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. 
Pet Peeves is brought to you by 1-800-PET-MEDS, America's largest pet pharmacy. 1-800-PET-MEDS is your best source for pet medications, vitamins, supplements, and pet supplies. Get great savings, fast service, and free shipping. Go to PetMeds.com forward slash Peeves, P-E-E-V-E-S, to get 10% off any order and free shipping on orders of $39 or more. It's time for school for you and your friends, your furry best friends. Train your dog the fun and easy way with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Teacher's Pet host Pia Silvani teaches you step-by-step how to train your dog the fun and easy way. You get eight 30-minute live audio training sessions, complete transcripts of each session, plus a basic training manual to get you and your dog off to a great start. Training begins the moment you bring your dog home. Teacher's Pet Sessions offers positive reinforcement training to shape your dog's behavior and encourages upbeat, enthusiastic responses to ensure that your dog will enjoy learning. Teacher's Pet Sessions dog training is fun at both ends of the leash. So listen, learn, and laugh with your dog with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Get your copy of Teacher's Pet Sessions Volume 1 today. To order, go to TeachersPetSessions.com. Hi, this is Pia Silvani, your host. Bring your dog, tug toy, and treats, and get ready to have some fun. TeachersPetSessions.com When you're looking to add a pet into your life, consider adopting a homeless animal from your local shelter or rescue group. Whether you want a kitten, puppy, or a more mature pet, a purebred or a -a one-of-a-kind mixed breed, even a rabbit or hamster, your shelter has the best selection of animals anywhere, all screened for good health and behavior. PetLifeRadio.com presents Take Me Home with your host, Susan Daffron. Join us each week as we showcase wonderful pets, tell stories, and even throw some pet education into the mix. So get ready to find out why the pet adoption option can be a great way to add a furry companion into your life. Take me home every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. PetLifeRadio.com We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves, so here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. We're back, and again, speaking with Stephanie Smith. Uh, She's a 20-year veteran writer on dog topics, among others, gardening, and more. I'd like to switch gears from the shock collars to rescue work. She's been doing pointer rescue and has rehomed more than 100 dogs over a decade of work. Now, Stephanie, before we broke for break, you mentioned some of the issues involved in the rescue of pointers specifically. But before we get into that, define what is rescue? How does it work? Well, my opinion of rescue is that A dog is brought to an animal shelter or somebody contacts the rescue person and says, either I found this dog, which was common, or I no longer want this dog. 
if it's an animal shelter, they have a finite space. And after a certain number of days, if it's a kill shelter, they will kill the dog. What groups have started doing, and they started doing this, I don't know, 20 or 30 years ago, was going to the shelters and retrieving dogs that were of the breed they were interested in and they knew the most about. And now almost all of the purebred breed clubs have a rescue group. Some are more efficient than others, but almost all of them have one. And there are many independent rescuers who rescue mixed breeds. And then what happens generally is you um, have the dog sterilized. It's either neutered or spayed. You get it all its shots. You teach it some house manners, uh, crate train it in the case of pointers because they can be quite destructive, and housebreak it and teach it some general manners. And then you find someone that will be a good home for that dog, and you place the dog with them. Generally, you charge a fee, and it covers some of the costs. It never covers all of it. But it also, people don't value free as much as they value something they pay for. Okay, well, how did you get into rescue? I got into rescue because I got involved in hunt tests and field trials, and um, I saw some abandonment of dogs by people who, well, this dog, they'd get a dog uh, to hunt with, and if it didn't hunt to their satisfaction, they would basically dump it, and I tended to pick them up. And then once I'd done that once or twice, the sucker light came on, and <laughs> I attracted dogs like, um, you know, I was, you know, food or something. Smells but, um, like liver. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, yeah. So um, I didn't ever intend to get involved. And then as the Internet powered up, and I got involved a little bit with show people. I never got very involved in show people. We founded PointerRescue.org because the National Club didn't have a rescue. And um, it's still going. I had to uh, stop rescuing dogs in 2001 because I have some health problems and I was no longer able to control a new dog. They don't come least broken. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and why? Well, why pointers? I know you'd been hunting with this particular breed, or you grew up with this breed. What's What's so special about pointers? Tell our listeners why they might be interested in getting a, a rescued pointer. I got involved with pointers because I met somebody who had them, and I went to events with them to pointer-oriented events. I actually don't hunt much. I hunted a little bit because the field trainer pointed out that I couldn't train my dog to do something I didn't know how to do myself. But I love pointers because they're sweet dogs and they're very loyal. You have to be aware that they can be very high energy, especially if they're field stock. And they can be very destructive if they get bored. But some of them are wonderful couch potatoes and they'll lay next to you while you're reading or working and they're very loving. They tend to be good with other dogs because they're usually hunted in braces and the breed has just been selected to be dog friendly. They're not good with cats or rabbits or anything that might be a small prey driven thing. They do pretty well with kids. They're short haired, but they do shed. 
But, you know, they're intelligent and they're sweet and they will, if you want to jog, they'll run with you until you drop dead. <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> so but, do, you uh, need to, do you need to have uh, acreage or can they be an apartment dog or? It honestly depends on the line. If you get a dog from one of the big running field lines, you need acreage. That dog's going to be miserable in a small house or an apartment. If you get a show dog that has finished its career and needs a home, it will be happy on your couch as long as you have a place for it to go outside to go to the bathroom. Okay. You, you do need to have a fence. This is not a dog you want to just let out. I mean, you shouldn't do that with any dog. But they will see something and run off, and before they realize it, they're way far from where they started and they don't know how to get home. What is, is there any difference, more difficult, easier, comparing pointers to, say, Chihuahua Rescue or some of the other breed rescues? What are the challenges that are specific to pointers? Well, the challenges that are specific to pointers is that there's a hell of a lot of them. Uh And they're a big enough dog that you can't tuck them into small corners like Chihuahuas. The advantages are that they're a big enough dog that people train them instead of let them be obnoxious. You can't have as many, if you're rescuing pointers, you can't have as many as you do, say, if you have chihuahuas. You know, six pointers pretty much takes up the house. And you may have be able to have a lot more chihuahuas. They're much more durable. You don't have to worry about them getting broken uh, like you do with a small dog. But they can actually... They can break small dogs without meaning to harm them because they don't understand that 60 pounds versus 8 is not going to work. Well, what have I not asked you that you think would be very important for listeners to know? I think that, first off, East End Collars are for things where if the dog does it, they're going to die, so you have to teach them not to do it. They are not for casual use to stop barking or keep a dog inside a boundary. The other thing is that dogs are not disposable. If you get a dog, you need to be prepared to keep it for its entire life. And that may be 20 years, depending on the breed. It's sort of like making a wedding vow for sickness and for health. That's what you're doing when you take a dog. And if you can't make that commitment, don't get one. We are out of time, but I would like to thank Stephanie Smith and the producers for making Pet Peeves possible. I dare you to join me next week for Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio for the next installment of What Hisses You Off. Email me suggestions or post a note to my blog by dialing up PetLifeRadio.com and clicking on the Pet Peeves logo. Oh, and don't forget, you can subscribe to the free Pet Peeves newsletter available at Shajai.com. Woofs and wags until next time. And remember, your dog wants limits and welcomes the challenges of training. Canines need a job and they get bored with nothing to do. Just be sure you choose the right tools and techniques for your fur kids so you don't damage the bond with your canine family members. After all, you don't want them to get peeved. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander is up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. 
Join us each week on Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Shojai, will talk about what makes you howl and what hisses you off. Pet Peeves, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> 